This is a Federal News Network podcast. Members of Congress are pushing to overhaul federal cybersecurity standards, but agencies are already starting to measure security a lot differently this year. That's because the White House made some big revisions to quarterly cybersecurity metrics. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday reports. Every year, the Office of Management and Budget publishes new metrics for evaluating cybersecurity at federal agencies. While it's become routine under the Federal Information Security Modernization Act, or FISMA, the 2022 metrics look a lot different than last year's. They feature a major focus on multi-factor authentication, encryption, proactive security testing, workforce, and more. The new metrics come as Congress considers the first update to FISMA since 2014. Lawmakers say they want to replace older security standards with a more modern approach. But former officials say OMB's latest cyber metrics start to push the government down that path. Ross Nodorft is executive director of the Alliance for Digital Innovation. He used to lead the development of FISMA metrics during his time at OMB during the Obama administration. This is a series of metrics that starts to measure things that Congress has been asking agencies to move towards. I think that OMB is going to take this, which is a much more dynamic outcome-focused series of metrics, and use this to build individualized performance discussions with agencies. The 2022 metrics break away from previous versions of the document that were organized into the Identify, Protect, Detect, Respond, and Recover framework. Instead, many of the new metrics are based on priorities laid out in President Joe Biden's cybersecurity executive order. For instance, the document asks agencies more than a dozen questions regarding their adoption of multi-factor authentication and encryption. Grant Schneider is the former Federal Chief Information Security Officer. Now the Senior Director of Cybersecurity Services at Venable, Schneider says the focus on multi-factor authentication is crucial. If I were to consult with an organization and they could only do one thing, that would be the thing. I think encryption is also really important and being able to, to be sure that your information is secure while it's inside the environment. That combined with MFA really starts to, to bolster your core protections for agencies. The new metrics also reflect the Biden administration's strategy for shifting the federal enterprise to a zero-trust cybersecurity footing. Zero Trust is based around the idea of using strong identity and authentication measures to verify anyone and anything attempting to access networks and data. Federal Chief Information Security Officer Chris Darusha says OMB is trying to figure out where agencies need the most help. In FISMA 22 guidance, we are intentionally working on getting to greater focus on capabilities that are leading to observable security outcomes. You know, as we see a lot of the focus on sort of reducing the tax surface, whether it's vulnerability disclosure programs, red teaming, blue teaming, pen testing, we need to, we need to make sure that we're emphasizing the growth of these capabilities. And that's like a lot of what the metrics are doing is like first taking like a temperature of where our agencies actually at with those so we can understand what we may need to do as interventions and support the build out of those capabilities. OMB's metrics for ground truth security testing are entirely new. The office wants information from agencies on how they're using penetration testing, red team exercises, blue teaming, and access to threat intelligence. It also surveys agencies about the use of vulnerability disclosure programs. OMB recently issued guidance last year encouraging the use of external security researchers. Renee Wynn, who served as CIO at both the Environmental Protection Agency and then NASA, says the focus on security testing should help agencies tackle both persistent and potentially catastrophic issues. Those were very telling activities that you would do inside your agency, and sometimes 
sometimes you'd be really like, oh, really, we still have that problem? And other times were, wow, I'm really glad they found that because if perhaps a nefarious actor had found that, it might have been pretty problematic. The new metrics also ask agencies about their use of logging capabilities. Last August, OMB issued new requirements to ensure agencies were logging and retaining cybersecurity incident data. The Government Accountability Office recently found gaps in log coverage prevented eight agencies from quickly responding to the SolarWinds incident. OMB is also using the metrics to measure workforce needs for the first time. The metrics ask agencies about their need for specific roles, like forensics analysts, incident responders, and secure software assessors. Wynn says she's excited to see the new workforce questions, but she points out the deliberations over cyber workforce requirements could fall flat without the involvement of agency chief human capital officers. They oversee workforce matters at federal agencies. Workforce is a great place to be paying attention, but laying it at the feet of the CIOs and the CISOs, I'm not a big supporter of that. It is a team effort. And the chief human capital officers need to be part of this conversation. Their systems need to be tracking this. So all I have to do is push a button and I get my data to report back to them. But all in all, former officials say the metrics are pushing agencies in the right direction, especially as lawmakers consider new cyber standards. But they also say progress will take time. The White House projects it will take until the end of fiscal year 2024 for agencies to fully adopt zero trust security principles. In the meantime, the results from the FISMA metrics will be compiled into an annual report released by OMB. Inspector generals will also conduct independent reviews of agency cybersecurity programs. With so many new metrics in play for 2022, Noterft says the initial results may not be pretty. We have to recognize that we're measuring new things, so we're not going to get 100% across the board, and that doesn't mean that our security is collapsing around itself. We have to be smart about how we're understanding and interpreting these metrics. And I'm hoping that when OMB writes the FISMA report, they make sure to outline and provide the people who are reading it with a lens through which to view this first year of these metrics. Others also acknowledged that the push to reform federal cyber standards is unlikely to go off without a hitch. John Pescatori is director of Emerging Security Trends at SANS Institute. He says the emphasis on multi-factor authentication and encryption at agencies is really important, but... They'll get the results back from this first year, and it'll be abysmal. Hardly anybody's done it, and then they've got to stick to it and say, no, we're going to make this happen. And the stakes could be higher than just the security of federal networks. Over the past decade, Pescatori says the government has actually led private industry in the adoption of some key measures, like more secure email and new internet security protocols. If they did this in multi-factor authentication and data encryption, that would be just huge for the country as a whole, because if the government starts using strong authentication, then the government contractors have to. It grows its use in the marketplace. Justin Doubleday, Federal News Network. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. 
My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was a leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while, although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Mm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have 
ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, And that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, And it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly black women and certainly gay black women. Uh, You know, there are not a lot of us. Um, You know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka. So I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a signal effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.